0: It is morning. <laughs> so this morning's talk is about prophecy, and we've got a prophet called Isaiah. So what is a prophet, and what is pro- prophecy? Well, it's a word of encouragement. Of course, we're looking at the Old Testament. So this is before uh, Pentecost, and so Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes and God spoke to His people, us, and to people generally, in in more ways. So obviously, we've got the Word of God. But he also helps us to dream dreams and have visions. And the Holy Spirit is really active in the world from that moment onwards. But this is the Old Testament, and God chose to communicate to people in a different way, and he would raise up prophets. And those prophets well, would help, well, they try and communicate really what the Lord was saying to them, to the people of Israel. And so that's, that's what this is about. So what's, what's the context of what Isaiah has to say? Well, it's, it's kind of a really tough time for Israel, well, Israel but it's, well, it's not quite at that time, because things are going to appear to be going fairly well. They were quite prosperous. But Isaiah was um, saying that the Lord was saying, well, actually, you're going to enter a time of really quite, of, of trial. In fact, a stormy period. He was saying that your disobedience had finally caught up with you, or literally was about to. And then this would be echoed a little bit more by Jeremiah afterwards. So the Lord kept on saying to Jerusalem, you know, repent, because when you made a contract with me, a covenant, you know, you're not keeping your side of that covenant. I have. I've been very faithful, the Lord is saying. But you keep on going away from me and trying to be God in your own lives, or king of your own lives. And they were making a mess of it. And so Isaiah is saying, actually, you're about to enter a period of of really quite stormy weather. And these storms are actually really quite tough. Because um, um, Assyria was being raised up, and their capital being Babylon. And so they would come along, and really they would destroy Jerusalem. And the the temple would be pulled down, and lots of people would be exiled into Babylon, and even more people would lose their lives. In fact, there would be a very small remnant in in Israel. So this is a really tough time. But, But unfortunately, Israel, the nation of Israel, and Judah particularly, but they'd have none of it, and so it was business as usual. That, that's really the context of where the, it, the whole book of Isaiah is talking about. So that sounds pretty grim, but in this particular message, it's saying your, your nation, your capital city is going to fall, your kingdom of Israel is going to fall, but there is a coming kingdom, a better kingdom, and that is the kingdom of God. And so in this uh, prophetic word, he's trying to describe a little bit about what it's like. Now, what you've got to remember about prophecy is about context and our um, people's worldview. You know, we're human beings, and so we see things from a very human-centric point of view. And so we look around us and we look at the context, the the type of government um, that we we normally have and the way we normally do things. We need some sort of context. And we assume that's how all things are going to be. Of course, God is looking from a future context, which is going to be quite different. And so the issue is, how does he communicate to the people of Israel? Indeed, how does he communicate to us? When really the kingdom of heaven is going to be quite different, we need some kind of pointers and we need some examples which are kind of similar to our own. Oh. Are you okay? So we need some help to understand really what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. I don't know if you've ever read sort of Revelation, and Revelation's really complicated. And so we still struggle with that today, don't we? Because we're trying to relate really the kingdom of heaven and the second coming of Jesus in terms of ways that we can understand sort of now. Now I often think about this in terms of what would it be like if my granddad, my paternal granddad, who passed away in 1973, and he saw what life was like now, or just something like an iPhone, and you tried to describe that to him. You know, it's about this big, you can access the internet, what's that? It's basically a huge library there of information, you can get up-to-date news. In fact, there's loads of shops open. You can you can basically buy things 24-7-365. I can play music, any kind of music I want. And there are no cables. Now, okay, they've they've heard of the radio, so it's not a million miles kind of from that. So they might describe it a little bit, because it's not the same, is it? A radio is not the same as an an iPhone. But he would have needed some context about things he's familiar with. And then if you take that back even further, I'm reading about Thomas Cromwell, so this is about Henry VIII and the people of that time how would you describe an iPhone to them? It's going to be really difficult because actually the, it, you know, the kingdom of heaven is going to be quite different than what we kind of used to. And so Isaiah is using a framework that people can start to understand. You know, what, how, does it, how is it different and how is it similar to um, the way we do things now? But because that's not the whole truth, is it? But people need sort of help. And that, that's really what—that's um, what, what's taking place here. So let's have a look. Let's have a look at what Isaiah has to say. That's quite a big context. Well, verse 2. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the nations. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. So we're talking about, really, they're looking at um, Israel as a nation, and Jerusalem is their capital city. And so they're about to have all that destroyed and taken away, and Isaiah is saying, there will be a new kingdom, a kingdom of God. There will be one kingdom, and from our perspective, because this is we've got, we're moving into the second coming of Christ. Jesus hadn't come at all at this point. You know, Jesus will be king, and so if you're thinking about the kingdom of God, there needs to be a king, and so it will be King Jesus. And some um, commentaries will say, you know, Jerusalem or, will be the most important place. In the world. That's what some interpretations say of this, of this passage. Now, it's interesting the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the uh, mountains. Now, do you know, there are actually loads of kingdoms. This is what this is talking about. There are loads of kingdoms. And so, Israel at this time is going to be looking at actually, there's the Assyrian kingdom in Babylon. Babylon, that's the city, um, Assyria. Is the nation around Iraq type of place, okay? And so there's a kingdom, but there would have been other kingdoms around. In the future, there would be the Roman kingdom and the kingdom. And they're saying, actually, but this kingdom is going to be the greatest. They're like little hills in comparison. You know, this is the chief mountain. This is the kingdom. And if, you, if we can relate to that ourselves, look at the world we live in. There are lots of kingdoms. They might not call themselves kingdoms, but they effectively are, whether it's the United States of America, and then you've got Russia, you've got China. You've effectively got the growth of India, for example, as they're growing in prosperity and influence. We've got the United Kingdom. Actually, It's almost like we are the kingdom as well. We're the gods, the king of our own kingdom, our own lives. There are lots of competing kingdoms around. And this passage is saying, this, the mountain of the Lord's temple, will be established as chief among the mountains. There will be one kingdom. And it will be raised up above the hills, these little kingdoms, as it were, and all nations nations will flow to it. That's what it's kind of looking at here. That's what the future is going to be. So their future and ours. Now, verse 3 continues. Many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob walk in his paths, the Lord will go out from Zion. And we'll read a bit more about that in a minute. So many people, many people will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Why would we do that? Because King Jesus is there. That's one of the reasons. And people will long to go there because the Lord's there. Let's go. People will talk to each other and friends and say, Come on, let's go. Let's go to where Jesus is. Let's go to this kingdom. Now, there's an element of that already, you could argue, in Jerusalem. Lots of people want to go there as a sort of a, p- a pilgrimage. I went there a couple of years, I've been there a number of times, but the first time, there were people from all sorts of places around the world. And they wanted to go and, you know, to see for us, it would be to see where Jesus trod. And although things are quite different in Jerusalem and Israel than they were at this time, it is still really good to go to those places and see the vicinities of where some of these Bible stories took place. I mean, it's just full of biblical history, and it is amazing. And so we have a little bit of that now. But it's going to be more than that. Many people will long and talk to friends. It's almost kind of as an echo of Psalm 122. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. And people will long to do that. So why would you want to go to this place, this kingdom? But it says here, we go there as Christians to, when Jesus comes again, to learn from him. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. We want to learn from him. We want to listen to him. We want to perhaps sit at his feet and listen to what he's saying. We want to walk in his paths with him leading us. We want to learn his way, God. And as Christians, we're already doing a bit of this, aren't we? We've got the book. We've got the Bible. We've got the New Testament. We've got the Gospels, which tell us about um, his parables and his topsy turvy world, and said, Actually, it's not like that, Dean. It's like this. You don't want to do that. Well, this is a better way. This is a better way of living. That's why we spend time reading our Bibles, because we want to walk in his path and learn from him, because it gives life. But there's going to be more of that. We've just got a flavor of that, perhaps an incomplete picture. But he's going to be there in person. uh, The Holy Spirit communicates to us. We've got his word. We may dream dreams and have visions. But it kind of isn't the same as him being there as King Jesus when he comes again. So why go? To learn from him, to walk in his path, to learn his ways. Now, some commentaries will talk about that's where the, his admin rule and teaching will be. Now, I'm kind of thinking, do I actually believe that? And there's lots of things in the Bible, and particularly in the, the, in the book of Revelation. And you know, the Bible is saying these things, and I, and I believe it's truthful. I think it's right, but it's in part and don't forget, he's talking to people in the Old Testament who Jesus hadn't appeared yet, let alone the second coming, and that they would have needed a kind of frame to understand what this kingdom of God is like. And so Jerusalem was their headquarters, their capital city of their kingdom. So a way of helping them to understand what the future kingdom of God would be like, they would be capital city, there would be that's where Jesus will be, that's where he will teach from, that's where his rule and administration will take place. This is the bit that kind of I had to really dwell and work out and think about this whole section. And even talking to Wendy this morning, when Jesus comes again, and there is a new earth and a new creation. And there'll be lots of people there. It won't be a free-for-all, all all of us doing our own thing. There will need to be some sort of organization. Now, how that exactly will be, I'm not going to tell you, because I don't really know. I know we're going to be without sin, so things obviously will be better. So the things that we accept as normal, and we don't even consciously think about, sin is in us the way we do things, our attitudes to different things, the way we manage disputes. Sorry. <laughs> the way it manages disputes. And so it will be a lot easier and better. I had a vision, it wasn't a vision, the idea of two, two English people trying to get through a door, and one saying, after you, and the other one says, after you. And they say, well, I no, after you. And then 2,000 years later, they're still not through it. I mean, there's going to have to be some sort of organization, even if when we are perfectly sinless and we're nice to each other (laughs) all the time. And so from their perspective, it's really helpful in that's that's a similar way of government that they're used to. Not exactly the same, but it is a framework. It's something that they can kind of... Um, understand. So again, what else will be Jesus be doing? What will He teach or settle for? Talks about He will judge between the nations, and He will settle disputes for many people. Wouldn't it be great if that was like He did that now, <laughs> like really did that now? If you think about all the disputes that are taking place in the world, does not reflect again Russia and Ukraine, how they must long for this passage to come true. Come, Lord Jesus. So things like borders and international disputes, for example, these things, because Jesus will be the judge, will be settled fairly. Yeah, before, yeah. I think mean, there's a lot of things here that people kind of, yes, come Lord Jesus, we'd like it now. And that kind of longing for this to take place. He would judge between the nations. He would de- settle disputes for many people. Jesus will be teaching, he will be directing, and he will continue to guide us he is still is doing that now, but there will be—it will be more so, because we'll have read, we'd have ears to hear better. So, because of this, you get this really famous verse: If Jesus is des- um, settling disputes fairly for many people, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Now, bear in mind, this is an agricultural society, a farming nation, Israel. And he's saying, you know, there is going to be no more war. And it's kind of really, kind of slightly unbelievable from our perspective, but that's what it's going to be like. If he is settling disputes fairly there will be peace. There will be no weapons of war. Come, Lord Jesus, how we long for that. And because there won't be, there'll be no more wars. You know, you won't be, our economy will be different. So we won't have to kind of invest lots of taxpayers' money on the weapons of war, and training people for war. There will be a new economy. And resources, as I say, will be used differently. There won't be any hunger. So in a world like our own, and and in countries like ours, where we're using food banks, those resources that we are diverting for defense will no longer be used. For those purposes, they can be redeployed. As I say, a brand new economy. Does that mean no policemen and women? There will be no armed forces. There will be no armament industries. There will be loads of other jobs that no longer exist, but there will be new ones. It's kind of really hard to imagine that. And actually for that nation of Israel, it would have been equally difficult, even though they were probably going for a period of relative peace to try and imagine that also. We just kind of almost accepted that is the way it is. Well, it, it won't be. It won't always be like this. And this is what Isaiah is telling this people who are going to go through war, who are going to have their city, uh, the capital city demolished and their temple and they're going to be thrust into exile into Babylon or die. So when you are when these things happen, this is not it. It is not finished. Different. A new kingdom is coming that's quite different than our own. We will no need to need to train for war. There'll be no hunger. And we will be walking in the light. The light of the Lord. So, Tanks into tractors. That's one of the phrases that I read. Doesn't that sound nice? Tanks into tractors. So how does that... When I first looked at this passage, I'm thinking, what on earth is that going to do with Advent. Yeah, isn't that a strange kind of um, passage to preach? On? We're looking forward to the for baby Jesus, which is already, already come. That is his first coming. Uh, our journey through Advent is in preparation for his second coming. As John the Baptist said before the first coming. For the kingdom of heaven is close at hand. That's why we prepare for that. We ready our hearts. We listen. We want to be guided by King Jesus through his teachings. Because that is a better way, and we can bring some of that kingdom come now in the world around us. We can make a difference. One of my friends texts me this morning. He, he texts um, a scripture every day to, for his mates. And his scripture today was uh, Habakkuk, if I can find it. Oh. It's Habakkuk 2, verse 3. Oops, on. Are we? For this revelation awaits an appointed time speaks of the end, and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will clearly come and will not delay. I praise the Lord for that text this morning. (laughs) It's a great piece of scripture that's come up for for me just at the right time. It is hard to imagine these things, this second coming, and we have been waiting People have been waiting over 2,000 years for the second coming. As we go through Advent, let's not give up hope. Let's not um, not give up hope in his second coming. There's been lots of prophecies about Jesus in this book, and they've all come true thus far. There are other promises which are yet to happen. But there's a really good track record here. <laughs> there's a really good track record. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. Though it linger, let us wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Amen.